Good evening, and welcome to the Laugh at the Monkey Music Show. Today, we Chips and Elf. How are you? Uh, very well today here in lovely Chicago uh, for one more day, and then I jump on a plane, and I'm off to Rocklahoma. Huge festival wow. in, in Pryor, Oklahoma, where Megadeth is playing. Uh, it's just a bunch of heavyweights. And get a chance really? to share the stage with uh, some of the bigger bands out in the country uh, for a three-day celebration. We're playing the Doug Burgess stage, which is, uh, for me, it's great because I love Doug. And it's we nice that the whole band gets to participate in a festival that I put together with a guy named Max Baker back in 2008. And wow. then I was shunned from then, where they didn't uh, call us back for 12 years and finally got a break to go out there and celebrate great rock and roll, heavy metal, be on the same stage as all the killer bands, great fans in Oklahoma. I've always had a wonderful time out there uh, with all the constituents. I've mean, played great shows. I remember touring out there in the early days at Ryan James Dio and Sebastian Bach sharing the stage with those cats. So this is an incredible uh, opportunity for Enough's Enough to go uh, play to 30, 40,000 people and then jump on a plane and right out to the West Coast to play the Big Rainbow 50th anniversary bash with Lita Ford, John Five, and Wednesday the 13th. Wow. You, you've been pretty busy. This is a very busy year for you. Then you've got, your, got more tours coming up, too. And, and actually, we're gonna, we'll go back to the tours in a minute. But what's exciting is it feels like there's always new information. Am I losing you there? You're not losing yeah. me. I'm moving the camera. Okay. I'm, a, I'm okay. a cinematographer right now, okay? It's starting to feel like the Blair Witch Project. There we are. You got the posters right there on the wall. You got there they are. Those are awesome. the gold records up there. I even got uh, the strokes on the wall right there. I love that band. Uh, and I, my whole house is a, a potpourri of, of concerts. That's the only way to go. What's really, really I, fun is so there's been a lot of changes in the band over the years. But what's really kind of cool is there's a lot of talent that, despite the changeup in the lineups, there's a lot of talent that just keeps coming from the band, you know? Um, and comes back in, in and out. On your last album, Alex has been back doing some writing with you and doing some playing, you know. So it's nice. It's like a big family, you know. Sometimes it's functional, oh, yeah. but it's like a big yeah, family. Yeah, Alex helped put the band together with me back in right. uh, 1984. Right. Uh, That's what I'm saying. Cool. doing more. Yeah, great guitar player. I loved them in Life, Sex, and Death as well. I thought that was a killer yeah, right. band that should have been much bigger than they were. I used to see those nice. cats play all over the place and uh, always well-attended shows. The band was on fire. And at Stanley, the front man, was a quintessential lead singer, just a terrific right. talent. Him and Alex wrote nice. some great songs together. Uh, but after Alex sashayed to put Life Sucks together, uh, we just we soldiered on. We were able to come up with some great material, I thought, uh, record those records in, in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and then the later stuff over at different places like Music Grinder and One on One and Hit Factory. Uh, we we recorded some real nice studios and uh, ran into some great musicians during those uh, recording sessions. And a lot of rock stars would come over and hang out with us too, which is really nice when you're making a record and you got Rick Nielsen in the room or or Dweezil Zapper or Steve Stevens, all all great guys who just show up there and they just want to enjoy the songs and and, and the party and the run. And so, you know, those are cool records that we made in those days. Nowadays, a lot of stuff is in-house. It's A lot of bands are doing did, it. Did anybody make it? Rent a house. Did, 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 did any of the guests make it onto her? Did any of those guys? Like, did Dweezil make it onto any of your albums? 
Dweezil didn't make any records. Rick Nielsen did, and Billy Corrigan as well. Yeah. JY from Sticks, uh, Stephen Adler from Guns N' Roses, uh, Dale Bazio, Missing Persons, uh, Robin Zander. Oh, yeah. yeah, we've had some good guys that have participated in some of the records, and uh, that is real special to me because uh, back when we were doing that, most bands uh, would just do it themselves, and the only groups that you would see that would share the, their uh, spotlight would be the hip-hop bands. Uh, but now uh, some more rock bands are actually uh, participating on records. And I think it's good for the fans. They enjoy it as well. Well, it, it, it's really good. I think uh, the British ones did it more. It seems like there's always like Zeppelin downstairs, another band upstairs, a bad company. Like, it felt like the British bands always did more collaboration if they were both in the same studio. You know? That's true. Not so much over in America. But in Britain, it seems like... No, but I think, that, I think the tide has changed a little bit. And you see a lot of bands out there coming in and sharing their studio time and trying to get other names on there because listen, not only is it great to have other musicians playing with you, especially name brand guys, but it, it, it elevates your perception. It, it, it changes everything. And uh, those fans will come over and take a look at your band as well. So it's a win-win for everybody. I think. I agree. I, and I think that's the attitude with everything nowadays. I think there's room for everybody, you know, and you should help everybody. I think there's room for like, different bands and different even podcasts or different different types of brands of everything, different types of food. You can like everything. There's so many bad things out there. We need a lot of good things. You can't have enough good things. <laughs> yep. Who cares who drives the yep. bus? Let's get to the picnic. That's what I'm saying, man. That's what I'm saying. So recently, you guys just did another big release, the, the box set, kind of recently. The Rarities? Yep. The box set is a great little uh, setup for the, the future albums. I think the fans want to hear the older stuff. I thought it was real important to release that all that material we had. Tons of records. We thought maybe we'd put everything underneath one umbrella, which we did, uh, under uh, under Cleopatra Records and Brian Pereira. He wanted all his early records, made us a great offer. We said great. And all the new material that we're writing right now and all the newest albums that we've released are all under uh, our label, which is Frontiers over in Europe. They're here in the United States as well, a guy named Nick Teeter, a wonderful guy who I worked with in the early days on the Atco Atlantic record releases with Derek Shulman. Uh, I think it's nice that we uh, we have two homes right now, uh, one for the catalog and then one for, you know, what's moving on forward with the band as we sit right now with uh, Tori Staff-Reagan, Daniel Hill, and uh, Tony Fennell. I, I listen well, to Strong I, I Records, that. too. I know two things. I know I thought originally the two holdouts, I think, from the record companies were originally the first two albums. But the other thing is it's good to have them come out again, the other ones, because the other ones have the same strong material. They just never got the chance. So that's the first thing that's good is to get them out there again. Because because they weren't in that MTV window doesn't mean they weren't good. It just means... Yeah, and the Rarities record was nice to get out there because it was basically material that we never anticipated releasing. Uh, but I see all the bands out there recording. A lot of groups have gone back to the well, pulled out material yeah. that was not released, and given the fans a little taste of what was, you know, an right. early inception of what we did. And I think that's good that we uh, put those records out there. Uh, listen, uh, we're proud of that work. Uh, those are strong albums, a lot of them, yeah. especially the catalog stuff. But the, yeah. the Rarities record was really special because – that was the very, very early inception of Enough's Enough. And those songs were like, uh, it's, if you listen to the material, 
Uh, songs are like embryos in the beginning of a of a life, and you keep them real close to you, and you want to do a really wonderful job when you put those records out. And there's only so much you can do because a lot of stuff that was recorded on a, uh, it was all two track, so I couldn't yeah. add or subtract. Uh, it was just that's the recording you get. Try to clean them up a little bit and and put those records out, and hopefully people will hear them and understand that. Uh, that's the early works and it's not a, oh, I it's think not so. a big production there's not a lot of money behind it it's just uh an early days of being creative i'm happy well, i with think those, there's a lot of stuff those, on, those on there though if you look on youtube i'm sorry to make stuff over you in youtube you, you there's some demos out there and you can see by the views on that that there's a a desire that they wanted to hear this just by the views on whoever put the demos out of early enough's enough you know so oh well it's important people are interested yeah, well, and yeah, I, I want to get all that stuff out there. I think it's very important to clean the slate, show all the records. I, you know, they say that we have uh, it's 17 records we have up, but we really have over 20 releases, studio releases. Uh, um, uh, Frontier said, uh, I, I see in the press release, said 17 records, but just with that demos and rarities, that makes it 21 yeah. right there. And that's not kind of live records that we put out as well. Uh, those are, I think those are terrific, a great representation of what the band was like back then. No tapes, no sequencers, no guys backstage, just real uh, reckless abandonment, live shows. Those are fun because a lot of the live records you hear from the past, it's all been studio doctored up. Uh, we didn't get a chance to do that. Yeah, I remember going in the studio uh, in Philadelphia. Dale Peters, the bass player from the James Gang, was the engineer for Westwood One, and we showed up there. And he said to me, uh, hey, man, good to meet you guys. I go, Dale, I'm a big fan of the James Gang. I've always loved your stuff. Um, we're here. To, we're going to tweak up this live stuff. Did you hear any of it? He goes, yeah, it sounds good. Did you guys bring any guitars with you? And we said, no. Why? Was, does, is there something wrong with the recordings? He goes, no. He goes, I just had uh, Eddie and Sammy in here from Van Halen. They were doing some overdubs. I thought, God, I we had no idea you could actually do that. Uh, when we ended up not doing anything, we left those records the way it was. I thought, and it came, they came out great, sounded solid as a rock, and it was a great representation of the band live. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. Nice. Pure... You start getting into production because you obviously we're going to talk about you just you begun doing production for other bands. We can talk about the new band that you just produced. But when did you make that full change over to doing production? Because at one point, you oh, that started artists. in the early days. That, that started right. in the early days when I was living in twenty two thirty one Prairie and Island. Uh, we're doing our demos. Donnie and I would do all the production ourselves, uh, everything, all the recordings, everything was done in-house. There was nobody really to help us. Then we had a couple of friends of ours. Dave Moragas was a great contributor in the early days of our recordings. And what we do the four and eight track demos, he had a little Fostex and uh, we would do stuff in the front room and record those songs, all the demos of, of everything, all the early stuff. And that was real nice to have as well. And I haven't seen Dave in years. I hope he's hope he's doing good because uh, he was definitely a factor. I don't really record it enough. It was just us three in the room, nobody else. And then uh, from there, we just uh, we learned all the tricks of the trade and uh, started recording uh, on our own. And we'd go in the studio. We started off early. I remember we were at a, a little club called J.D. Bats in Blue Island, Illinois. And there was a cop sitting next to me. His name was Lieutenant Bob Erft. I hope he's doing good. What a great guy. He helped set it up for me and gave me a career. And he said, uh, what are you guys doing? We were just there hanging out at the bar looking for trim. Had fake credit cards sitting on the bar. We had, they did a pot to piss in. 
living in an apartment. It was, I think it was 500 bucks a month, no electricity. And, uh, but we were dressed like rock stars. And he said, well, yeah, what are you guys doing? I said, oh, we're getting, we're trying to get some dough together. We want to go in the studio and record some more material. And he goes, how much you need? I go, ah, 500 bucks would do it probably. And he goes, well, listen, good luck, you guys. And he split. And about a half hour later, showed up and threw $500 in front of him. He goes, here, here's uh, some money to, for recording. Uh, good luck, guys. Lieutenant Bob Erft, what a uh, angel from above. And I immediately got on the phone, the pay phone. There was no fucking cell phones or anything back then. And I called up uh, Star Trek's recording studio at about 1 o'clock in the morning. A guy named Jeff Loof picked up the phone, uh, uh, a.k.a. Brendan Jeffries. And I said, hey, we're looking for uh, to do some recording. And he goes, uh, yeah, when do you want to start? I said, how about right now? He says, as a matter of fact, I just got done tweaking their drums up. Come on by. And that was the first day we started recording our 1985 album, it was called. Uh, we did three songs that day, Day by Day, No Second Time, and Catholic Girls. And that started the ball rolling for us right there. And we learned a lot about recording in the studio. We had nice little uh, Neotech. We had nice clean EQ. Great sound, wonderful equipment we had there, SVT, a couple of Marshall cabinets and, and our guitars. And we just bashed it out live, just like we do it live in the studio. And uh, and then started tweaking everything up. And we took it to a radio station here in Chicago. And uh, they started playing the tracks. And it was great to hear your, your songs after years and years of doing demos on, on the radio. WVVX guy named John Gorney uh, and Ralph Ralph Rasmussen, and uh, that started all off for us. And uh, from there, we just we're chasing the carrot ever since. Do you remember the first time you heard yourself on the radio? Because I usually this is the best. Story. Yeah, I do. We were sitting in the parking lot smoking a joint, Donnie and I, and we were arguing about the direction of the band. And uh, the radio was on in the background, and Catholic girls came on there. And we immediately started hugging. We almost we were almost crying. We were so happy. And uh, immediately our following picked up exponentially. It had no, it had no uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, none of that crap. You know, it was just all yeah. uh, word of mouth. Word of mouth. We started getting yeah. some gigs and started playing around Chicago, opening for everybody you could think of, whether it was BTO, Cheap Trick. We just play shows, no money at all, set up our equipment, play a 45, half an hour, maybe an hour show, and then back up and split. But we meet the fans and we just started picking up a little bit of steam. And from there, uh, uh, we were recognized by uh, a couple of managers out of Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. They uh, stopped, come down to the studio, a place called Royal Recorders, and we ended up signing with them. And from there, I uh, started doing demos. Uh, we were in the same studios with uh, Cheap Trick, Survivor, uh, Adrian Blue and the Bears. Adrian Blue was playing with King Crimson. They put together Adrian Blue and the Bears. And uh, from there, uh, yeah, we were able to pick up a little bit of uh, traction. And then Skid Row came in the studio to record their first album, their debut. And Doc McGee was there. My manager, Bob Brigham, gave him a couple of cassette tapes. That's how old I am. And on the cassette tapes, we had like 16 songs on those cassettes. And Doc came up to me and says, hey, you know, Chip, I got a – he's from Chicago as well. He says, I have three cassette tapes of Enough Snuff. Uh, uh, This is terrific stuff. I got a friend of mine who might be interested in you guys. He signed Bon Jovi and and Cinderella. His name's Derek Showman. He used to be the singer of a band called Gentle Giant. He might be able to help you guys. Ah, Doc. Thank you, Doc. I appreciate that. Now, we thought that was the end of it right there. And lo and behold, a couple weeks later, huge bidding war for enough stuff. Couldn't get arrested for for our first five years of inception. And then all of a sudden got a break right there 
where uh, it shows you that this business is predicated on friendships and relationships. Doc was able to procure a deal for us with all the labels, and we went from having nothing at all to an, an actual record deal and a little bit of money in our pocket so we can pay our rent. That's pretty awesome. But wasn't it like that? Like you know, no, nobody, you, you couldn't, you couldn't get a date, but then also you get a date, and then everybody wants to be with you. Like the minute somebody, one person finds you attractive, everybody finds you attractive. You know, nothing like a crowd. Yeah, we took crowd. the we, we took that material, and we shopped it to every single label, and nobody would bite on it. And then in the middle of the night, we had Derek Frigo come down to the studio in Lake Geneva, and record four or five guitar solos on the stuff that Alex Kane played all the guitars on. And Derek played the four or five solos. We took that tape, same songs, same arrangement, everything. And that for some reason, Derek, he, he had his own swing, he had his own timber, and all labels jumped on it. He was fairly, uh, very important to the signing of Enough Snuff in those early days. I recognize it after all these years. I know and I pay respect to him because he was a fabulous guitar player. And uh, that really helped us out a lot. It showed a different side of the band. And we, we were coming out, remember, this is 87, 88. The the landscape of music was a little bit strange right there. Of course, you had Poison, the Motley Crues, and the Bon Jovi's, and the Cinderella's. But there was newer bands coming like the Chili Peppers and Jane's Addiction. So it was a change of the guard for a little bit. Uh, bands that were rock, but they're a little more alternative, too. And I, I always believe Enough Snuff was alternative before alternative. And back in 84, when our stuff, we, we were recording early material, we were always compared to bands like uh, Elvis Costello and Squeeze and Cheap Trick. And there's nothing wrong with that. Show me a band without influences. I've, I've said it before. And I'll show you a band who hasn't written one note. Well, I, I just think it's probably just the way you looked. You know, that was the time. You know, if you wore cowboy boots and hats or something, you know. Ah, uh, well, we uh, we always we were we were always a little bit flamboyant. We were colorful, and there's nothing right. wrong with that. But we certainly weren't looking at all those bands and trying to cop their look. Although I'm sure we pillaged, uh, we nicked off a few of them. Uh, we just wanted. To, we knew that when you put a record out, you didn't see smoke machines and hair and people shaking their ass. It was just about the music. But when we went out and played shows, we we were definitely flamboyant, and I, 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 in a lot of ways, it was good for us. Uh, we would have came out dressed like you too. Maybe it would be huge right now. I don't know. I'll never know that. I just know that MTV embraced bands that were uh, very colorful and glam and flamboyant. And even though our music might not have been that, our, our look certainly was. We were pillaging stuff out of our sisters' and mothers' closets just to get clothes. We had no money at all. Uh, we came up with a, a look that we thought stood out, was different than what was out there. And uh, thank God Rick Krim recognized us. He was a big fan over at MTV of bands like Jellyfish. And uh, he took a liking to the band and gave us a chance. I was actually going to say Jellyfish. That, the image reminded me a lot of Jellyfish. Like that would have been the way I would have thought. If somebody was going to pick you up, they would have compared you more to that genre. You know, Jellyfish. Yeah, we didn't even know about Jezebel. Jellyfish. Jezebel. Jezebel. Yeah, kind of... of course I know Gene loves Jezebel. I dated the yeah. singer's girlfriend. <laughs> Boy, she was fine, too. Beautiful chick out in New York. Josefina Diaz. He wrote a song about her called Josefina. Okay, yeah, I didn't, I didn't and I, we ended up playing with them later on, but the brother wasn't there, just the singer was there. And yeah, they're nice cats. I was I was a, a proponent. I, I was hoping that they would do good. That was a totally different trip than what Enough Snuff was doing. We were much more guitar heavy, way more aggressive, and we did more drugs than they did too. So uh, we took many more chances than bands like that, uh, and maybe for the better. What was a big change for you guys? Because 
Now, I, I, you say like the, the, the look maybe have hurt. I've heard Diane say, you know, you guys were glammed out or whatever. I don't think it hurt you guys, actually, because I think if you guys said no image, you, we wouldn't be talking today because you wouldn't have, I think you guys made a mark. You know what I mean? The industry was going to change no matter what. If you had no image, image band, Grunge was still going to come by and take you. Anybody that was had an album out in that time period, those four or five years, was going to get swept under the rug, no matter what you looked like. I'd like yeah, to believe that too, but you just don't know. Obviously, images. I think it's still important to a lot of bands. Right. Uh, I mean, we came out you though. I think you'd have gone. You'd be gone if not. Yeah, I mean, you, you. Perhaps you're right, and I think so too. In a lot of ways, I, I I really believe that our image caught the attention of a lot of people. I've got us on David Letterman a couple times. Got us on Howard Stern, Stern. Uh, D. Snyder. Yeah. Uh, from Twisted Sister, his brother Mark Snyder was a radio rep over at Cold Atlantic Records. And he was the one who came to us. He goes, Hey man, there's this guy in New York. Ever you heard him? Howard Stern? I go, I heard the name, but I don't know much about him. He goes, Always oh, brilliant. He's got a radio show out here. I feed love you guys to go down and meet him. I said, yeah, I'd love to. And we immediately hit it off instantly because he knew we weren't a band that was we weren't homogenized. We weren't your milk and cookies right. band. Uh, we had some, you know, in, internal problems, obviously, with our substance abuse and our promiscuity. But those were elements that he embraced, and it was a real rock band. And he came in, and we went in there, and we played songs on acoustic guitar, and it wasn't even rehearsed or anything. We just went in there and just bashed them out. And Howard loved that. He loved the transparency of Enough's Enough, and that that really helped us a lot because uh, uh, that, that helped us reach another audience that we normally wouldn't have had. He's he, right. another guy besides MTV to help shape Enough's Enough was uh, Howard Stern for sure in the early days, him and Fred and uh, Robin Quivers. Uh, they're wonderful people that uh, and never got mad at us, never questioned us. We'd get yelled at by, by Gary Delbody because we'd smoke pot in the bathroom before we went on the show. We'd leave the roaches on the toilet and then we'd come back and, Hey guys, you're not supposed to be smoking pot. Go, yeah, no problem. Then we take a break. Go back. <laughs> It's pretty funny. Yeah, well, I and mean, that's what I'm saying. I agree. I do. I remember. I remember you guys on Howard Stern. And I remember that. I thought, you know, that, and I actually think the 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 peace sign on that first album is so tied to you guys that's actually kept you guys in the public eye forever. Because that comes out, they're like, oh, I know that band. Bye, bye, bye. You know what I mean? It's it's great. It, it worked out really good for you guys. You know? It's, it, yeah, um, it certainly did. Listen, who knows? The average life expectancy of any band is. A few years, so for us to still be yeah. going after all these years, I put the band together in 1984, bro. We we're little kids, you know, driving around one car. We all pile all the gear in there, and we'd go to the next gig. Every day was recordings. We really worked hard. We were not a lazy band. We hustled, came up with some decent songs, and uh, then we tried to find work until we found an agency to work with us. It was a struggle, an uphill battle the whole time for us. But Southside Chicago provides opportunities. How was it been? You, the, the big it sounds like you have a duck. It sounds like a duck. Um, what was the, the big change? Yeah, I got a duck. I have a, I have a duck here as a, as um, one of my pets. He's walking around the yeah. house. Sounds like a, like a phone alarm. He um, I lost my track there. Being a singer now, when you took that over totally, are you? How's that feeling now? You've been doing it for quite a while now. <laughs> didn't want this gig. <laughs> it's on. very, it's, a, it's, it's challenging. There's no about that. I, I, I really believe that uh, Donnie V is one of the quintessential singers of our generation. Wonderful songwriter. Yeah. Listen, the guy's great. We had great, wonderful times together on the tour. We had tough times too. We went through a lot. And when he left the band, it was an uphill struggle. But uh, Tony Fennell was the guy who said, look, if you can sing these songs halfway 
as well as he did, we're going to be just fine. And Tori Stoff Reagan and I, years ago, we were playing. It was a show, and Donnie was sleeping in the car. He was inebriated. He just couldn't do the gig. It was after a show, and we were going to another biker bar just to hang out and have a, a little bit of loudmouth soup. And Tori and I and the drummer went inside the venue, and the, the bikers were like, get up there and play some songs. And we went up there and did New Thing, Fly, Michelle, and another song. And I realized that day that maybe I can do this gig. And God rest my mother's soul because she was the one that said, honey, you got to go out there and do it once he left in 2013. You should sing the songs. And I, when, I, when I approached Donnie about continuing enough snuff, he says, look, if you're going to do it, you sing the songs. At least people will know it's enough, enough snuff with you in front. And, uh, you know, to, it was really I had to find my feet. Uh, but I think I can wear the dress now. The shows have been great. The fans have spoken. It'll never be like it was before, and it shouldn't be. Man, we've grown. And it's a, it's the same band. We still do the same songs, but we have new material, too. We've taken another direction. It's a little bit aggressive. It's still got the pop side to us. I'm grateful I can still go out there and play shows and share the stage with some of the biggest bands in the world. I got no – I'm not holding any inhibitions right, like, I'm happy with where we're at right now, and, I, and, and I'm not satisfied, and that's why we go out and we tour around the country and don't stop working because it's, it's really a formidable four-piece gang of, uh, of four that goes out there and plays these shows every single night. We never mail it in. I want to leave an indelible mark. When the fans come out and see our shows, they go, the band's better than ever. And I think it's a strong band. Uh, that being said, uh, uh, I love the legacy of Enough Snuff, and I want to keep it moving. And maybe uh, with, with movies, soundtracks, TV shows, commercials, I've said it before, perhaps there'll be enough mailbox opportunities where uh, uh, all of us will be able to survive. That would be awesome. So let's talk about the band you just produced. Which one? I've, I've done a couple of albums. Since. Oh, have you? I, I, I Midnight Devils are on Pavement Records. Yeah, they're great. Pavement, yes. Pavement Records, they sign a lot of big bands and right here in Chicago. Uh, wonderful guys out there. Uh, they've treated us How well. They approached me and said, hey, uh, I well, I went to them at first and said, I got a couple of bands I think would be great for your roster. And one of them was Midnight Devils. The other was Steve Ramone. And I brought both bands to the forefront along with uh, – there's a couple of bands, actually, I brought out. There's an, another band out there uh, called Venray, and their record's out as well. They've done really good. That's got features of drummer from James Addiction, Stephen Pearson. Uh, Stephen Pearson's yeah. wonderful drummer. Sal is a rock. He's on their album. So I brought those bands to the label. Didn't want one penny. Didn't ask for a dime. Just wanted to see these bands get their records out there that I thought were – a big part of our fabric of what's happening out there. And we'll keep, uh, keep flying the flag and uh, pavement signed all three bands. I produced two of them. I did the Steve Ramone record first over at Chicago recording company uh, with my engineer, Rob Pose. And he produced about a bunch of punk rock records and rock stuff. He does a lot of enough enough stuff that Johnny Rotten jr. Wonderful teammate. And then I asked Rob, I said, you want to do another band? He says, yeah, bring them on. And we brought the Midnight Devils in here. We recorded that record basically live in the studio. And we did some minimal overdubs and took it over to a guy named Chris Steinmans, who's a mix specialist over at Stonecutter Studio on on the north side of Chicago. And he mixed the records up for us. He did a fabulous job. Uh, 
and a guy named John Zacks did the Steve Ramone record. He he mixed that one as well. We got a good stable of cats out here that just want to fly the flag and do as many great rock records and punk records as possible. And I really believe the Midnight Devils, they're going to be around for a while. That's a formidable team. Three-piece band, no tapes, mm-hmm. no sequencers, no guys backstage. Those guys bring the show every single night. Uh, Ven Ray, same kind of band too. Rock band, kind of alternative kind of rock. You'll be seeing them. They're they're out touring right now. And then the Steve Ramone band, uh, I think they're gearing things up for next year, although they just got off tour with the London Choir Boys, and uh, that, that seemed to work out pretty well for them. That's awesome. I, I don't know, too. We'll have to check the other two out. And people, check out all three of these bands if you're not aware of who they are. And obviously, you would check out Enough's Enough. So you, I caught you on a, on a good day of, of time, a good window at your home. But you got some big tours coming up. Let's talk yeah, about we're out. Where I, we I leave. You. Yeah, I leave Wednesday. Enough Snuff leaves Wednesday. We're out playing Rocklahoma, as I mentioned earlier. Big festival, four-day event. Playing the Doug Burgess stage. Superstar cat. I'm so glad he finally got Enough Snuff back on the bill at Rocklahoma. Then we jump on a plane, go right to Las Vegas, Orange County, and then we play with Lita Ford, John Five, and Wednesday the 13th at that big, huge festival they have every year called the Rainbow Bash. It's their 50th anniversary. And wow, from there, years. then we we jump on a plane, come to Chicago, and we're right out with the the Dead Daisies. And Dead Daisies, enough's enough. I think one of the dates you'll see Gilby Clark from Guns N' Roses on there. I love playing with Gilby. We've done shows together in the past. We used to be in a band together. We played in the Wild Bunch with Pat Tanizio okay. from Smithereens and, and Wayne Kramer from MC5 and Clem Burke from Blondie. A great band. That was a wonderful time wow. for Camel Cigarettes. Made a brinch truck full of money on that little tour so uh we'll go out we'll do uh i think we got 14 dates with the dead daisies you want to get tickets you can go to dead daisies slash monsters of rock and uh, you can get tickets and win tickets and meet meet and greets and whatever and you get a chance to meet glenn hughes and uh of course uh you can't go wrong with brian tishy doug aldridge and dave lowey uh who used to be in a band called red phoenix those cats will be out there. I can't believe they picked enough snuff on that tour. Dead daisies, enough snuff together. That's going to be a celebration, bro. They're heavier than sin. We'll bring it. We'll be bringing the set out every night, doing all the hits as well. Maybe, I think maybe it's a real nice wanted. package. You know what I mean? Yeah. So maybe you know what? There's 52 people trying to get in that package. Everybody wanted on that tour. Dead daisies picked enough snuff. It's great. Uh, all the shows yeah. will be well attended. Uh, it's sponsored by the Monsters of Rock on the Dash Radio Network. It's it's going to be terrific. I can't wait to see Glenn and talk about the Stormbringer record in Deep Purple in those early days. It's going to be great. That is awesome. Well, that is really great. And then so and then you were mentioning you know, one more other thing. So Europe afterwards too, the European tour. Yeah, after I finish up the glams, uh, after I finish up the Dead Daisies Enough Snuff run in September, October we go over to uh, Florida and Texas and Atlanta and uh south carolina there's a bunch of dates on it's called the glam slam metal jam tour and it'll be enough's enough pretty boy floyd and the midnight devils and uh they'll go all the way until the end of october and then we jump on a plane and right, right to italy italy spain all through europe uk i think we're doing the dominican republic as well amsterdam's in there if you go to enoughsenough.com, E-N-U-F-F-Z-N-U-F-F.com, you'll get all the dates of all the upcoming yeah. stuff. We got another, I don't know, 60 shows in the books. 
and then we'll take it easy at the in the middle of December. We'll take a little bit of a break, and then we'll break back out in January on the Rock Island tour with Sticks and Tesla. That's going to be incredible over in uh, Florida. That starts in January 17th. We work our way through Florida, and then we go right to Australia with uh, Silverback touring, and uh, it'll be enough's enough. And if I'm not mistaken, faster Pussycat over in Australia for seven or eight days. So I'm looking forward. We're staying pretty busy, bro. You are really busy. That's really good. Really awesome, man. I'm, I'm psyched for you. And then I'm sure at some point you get to do another album, which I'm sure. Uh, no, no already. I already did the record. New album comes out oh. uh, November 11th. New Enough's Enough, November 11th, folks. It's called Finer Than Sin. The first single is called Catastrophe, and it's on Frontiers Records. Enough's Enough, Catastrophe, first single, Monsters of Rock on the Dash Radio Network's playing it every single day, getting some good airplay. We'll get a lot of streams out there, Spotify, uh, Apple Tunes, Apple Music. You'll get it. It's going to be on all different uh, search engines. You'll be able to get that music out there, uh, not only through social media, but you'll see us live in concert playing these songs as well. Finer and Sin, November 11th on Frontiers. I'm glad you said that. It's hard. Just, even for me, who listens to all so much music, knows so much. There's so much out there for people to pick it up. It's just, it's, it's overwhelming. The link for you guys will be underneath the show on the podcast site and YouTube. So they can go right to your site from here after the interview. And um, I want to thank you, man. It's been great. Thanks for talking to me. I really appreciate it. I wish nothing but the best for all our nurses, our doctor, our military, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, our firemen. Yeah. Uh, all the local drug dealers are crowned the street because those guys are real important to listen. The black market is winning right now. That's for sure. Uh, and uh, I wish everyone well out there and uh, hope to see you. I hope you all live to be a hundred years old. Thanks for taking time out to talk to me. You want to check out anything with enough stuff, enough is enough.com. Get us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, same thing with uh, myself, chips enough at Twitter, chips enough at Facebook, chips enough at Instagram and uh, get all up to date news on what's happening in the world and where we expose all the worst scars and tattoos of what's happening in the rock industry. Thanks, bro. God bless you and your family too as well. Okay. Thanks, man. Thank you.